Welcome, Thrive Church. We're glad that you are here this morning. My name is Pastor Sheldon Miles. I'm the lead pastor of this awesome, awesome church, and I am so glad to be here this morning. Are you excited to be in God's house this morning? There you go. There you go. And so I want to welcome all of those who are watching online in the 715 area code. We're glad that you are joining with us, and we look forward to the day that you are able to join us in person because this is a great place to be because this is all about what we're trying to accomplish here. What we want to see God do through the Holy Spirit is to lead people to become life-giving followers of Jesus. It's all about Life change in Jesus' name. Can we give it up for life change in Jesus' name? I was asked to, to give this just brief announcement this morning. I don't, I don't know. There's been a, a longstanding member of the church who passed away here a, a few months ago, Doris Vinsky. And there is going to be a memorial service for her this coming Saturday, September 25th, here at Thrive Church from 1.30 to 2.30 and uh, we would welcome all of you to attend for this. I want to ask you, uh, encourage you to follow along in your sermon notes this morning. If you did not get sermon notes, just simply raise your hand. We have ushers who would be glad to get you those sermon notes. You just get so much more out of the message when you follow along in the sermon notes. We could have an usher right there, that, that young lady right there. So questions, questions. Yeah, we're in a sermon series called Questions, and we are addressing questions that people have. And I don't know about you, but I have my top 10 list so that one day when I get my appointment and I get to sit down and have lunch with Jesus, I got a couple questions that I might be willing to, I might wanting to ask, but it's kind of interesting. I probably want to ask them here on earth, but when I'm sitting there in front of them, I don't know if I'll be able to ask any questions. I will be filled with his glory and filled with his peace. But listen, I want you to know, and you know this, we talked about this last week, I always want to start these messages to to just kind of set it up like this. There are some things on this earth we are not going to understand. And I ask you this morning, are you okay with that? I think there's some things that we need to come to grips with. I know of, of people and met people who have walked away from faith because they've come up against questions that they aren't fully able to understand. And I, and I get this from Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. This is kind of our, our main verse in this series. And, and, and the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, this is God speaking through him, he says, So my ways are higher than yours. And my thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. And I mentioned this last week, I'll mention it again. I'm not sure I want to serve a God who I have it all figured out. Because I know that my God is what is known as he is infinite. In other words, he has no bounds. And I understand I am just a man and I have my limitations of my understanding. And I, but I want you to know this morning, it's so important that we begin to address these questions as best as we can, because here's the deal. What you believe about God, what you believe about God affects how you view and live your life. And so it's important that we address these things. And we're going to be looking at John 18, and in John 18, 
We know that Jesus is being led up to his crucifixion, and he is on trial, and he's passed back and forth, back and forth to to all of these leaders who really don't want to take the responsibility for, for his crucifixion. But Jesus is now standing before Pilate, the governor, and there's this interesting exchange that happens between them. And Pilate it's just he's heard about this Jesus guy, and he's trying to get a better understanding. I'm sure he had questions about Jesus. And here's kind of how this statement goes. Jesus said to him, he said to Pilate, he's, as he's being questioned, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And I'm sure that this caught Pilate's attention, you are a king, you, you have another king. I, 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 he's scratching, what, 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 I'm not, this is news to me. Pilate said, he, he asked a question, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is truth. So Jesus makes a claim about himself that really gets Pilate's attention. And I hope that it gets, captures your attention this morning because Jesus said this. He says he, he came, Jesus came to reveal God's truth. Everybody say truth. Jesus came to reveal to the world what is truth. Jesus came to reveal himself as truth truth, as we're going to talk about later. Jesus reveals God's truth through his words this morning. So I just want to encourage you to just, I'm going to enter into this message this morning, and I have been doing a lot of studying, and I want you to know I'm not a philosopher, I'm not a theologian, I'm just a pastor trying to address this really big challenge this morning. And I've been doing a lot of studies, and, and I, as I was trying to give credit to where I got a lot of these thoughts from, I noticed it was from the same author, Norm Geisler. And I just happened to have a bunch of books, I didn't realize it, but a bunch of books by the same author. So I, I want to give credit to him for a lot of the thoughts that I'm going to share with you this morning as we ask the question, what is truth? I think all of us are asking that question as we reflect on our faith journey. Wherever you are in your faith journey, we want to know what truth is. And why does it matter? Well, truth matters because of these five most consequential questions that people are asking about life. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, we've asked this question, what is my origin? Where, where do we come from? We ask questions about our identity. Who, who am I? Why do I exist? Meaning, what am I here for? Morality. We ask questions about morality. How, how should I live this life? What is right and what is wrong? And then finally, the question of our destiny. What happens to me when I die? Now, all of these questions, I'm confident all of us have asked these questions. And the answer to these questions are so important. Because if we're not careful, we can buy into a lie. I'm a little, I admit to you, I'm a little foggy this morning. 
So I was called out last night, my first official call for the Wausau Fire Department. And I was called upon a scene where a family had come home and discovered that a family member had chosen to take their life. And the most challenging part of it, it was the children who discovered this parent. And you, you look at situations like this, and the million-dollar question is, and, and they asked that question multiple times as I spent time with that family, why? Why? And as they're asking that question, I, I, I'm, I'm just pondering myself, why? And, I, and I'm wanting to give them answers, and I, I know I, I know times like this I need to just be still and be present. Why? But if you look at the entire scenario, we, many of you are probably here today and know of loved ones, friends who have made the same decision, and you ask the same question, why? And, and I would say maybe it's because Somewhere along the line, they were told a lie about one of these questions that we asked earlier. I believe that we live in a world where there is an enemy, and we're going to talk about this in the future, and his name is Satan, and Jesus describes him as the father of all lies. He is really good at it. He's really good. You just look at Genesis chapter 3 and, and, and Satan's conversation with Eve in the garden. You will see that he, he proclaimed to her a truth. And then he gave her another statement, which was an outright lie. You, you look into it yourself. And then he gave another statement that was a half truth. I mean, he's good. If you've ever met a liar before and you've been deceived by a liar, you're just like, oh, yeah, they're good. Satan is the best. And we know that the reason why he is such a liar is Jesus calls him the thief. That the thief has come to, this is what he says about him, he has come to steal and kill and destroy. And he does this through his deception. Understand this, Satan's Number one goal, objective for your life, is to somehow, some way, in whatever way or fashion, is to convince you to destroy yourself. And his objective is this. This is what he wants to do. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to kill your hope. And he wants to destroy your joy. And I know that when we get in places like that, the temptation of that decision that parent made is very much real and very much prevalent. And I, I just want to speak to you this morning. I want to speak into the camera for those who are watching. And I want you to know if those thoughts have been filling your mind or filling your heart, please know you are loved. And there is hope. And there is help for your pain. And we know that Satan works through lies. And he, again, he's been doing this from the very beginning. And when you are the father of lies, you cannot stop lying. And let's face it, all of us have, been, have sit here today in one way, shape, or form, we have been deceived. And when we are deceived, 
Satan wins. So listen to me. Let me say it one more time. When we are deceived, Satan wins. And that is why it is so important that we address this question. What is the truth? Because Jesus said, his mission is, I have come. Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and that you would have life to the full. And he's not only talking about life here on earth. Yes, you're going to have life even in the midst of difficulties and challenges. You will go through those things. But he is talking about eternal life. He's talking about this thing called a blessed hope. So I, I want to ask you today, what is truth? What is the truth? Well, again, going back to the author, Norman Geisler, he defines truth as this. He says, it is telling it like it is. <laughs> I know some of you that I've talked to, and I'm getting to know you, and you are pretty good truth tellers <laughs> because you like to tell me the way that it is. It's that which, is, which corresponds to its object, that which transcribes or describes an actual state of affairs. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how we, in certain areas of our life, we demand to have truth. We demand truth from our loved ones, from our spouses. Just, just look at your spouse right now and say, you better be telling me the truth. Just, just look at them. You better be telling me the truth. We demand truth from our doctors. Tell me, Doc, don't beat around the bush. Don't tell, me, don't tell me I have cancer when all I have is a cold. We demand truth from our bankers. Don't tell me my bank account is empty. I just filled it. We demand truth from our judges. And we, we want our judges, we want them to find the truth in the matter and, and then to provide justice where justice needs to be served. We demand it from our employers. But if you are an owner or a boss here today, your employees are looking for you to treat them with dignity and respect. They want to be treated fairly and paid fairly. We demand it from airlines. We get on the plane and we just almost want to look at that captain. You better get me there safe. We expect it. If there's any kind of crash and I survive, there will be a lawsuit. You are here this morning and you expect honesty. You expect integrity from your pastor. We expect truth when we read articles, when we watch the news. It's kind of getting humorous now. We expect it from advertisers, from our teachers, from our politicians. <laughs> We demand truth. We demand truth from just about every area of life. However, isn't it interesting that when it comes to the issue of mor the truth of morality, or the truth of faith, the truth of religion, that we turn a different eye? There, today's cultural debate, if you have not noticed already, really you can sum it up onto this issue. It is the battle of moral relativism Versus moral truth, all right? I'm going to get real intellectual here, here and I'm, I'm going to explain this for you. Moral relativism, what is that? It is the belief that truth is up to the individual. What is true for one person, well, that's, that's good for you. That's good that that is true for you, but it might not be true for me, and don't you judge me by your truth, okay? Because I have a different kind of truth. In other words, there is no 
absolute truth. In other words, you, you kind of can make it up as you go along, and that should be expected. And I know that sounds kind of ridiculous. That's just like, that doesn't make sense. But I'm telling you, we are living in a world, and maybe you, you lived a day like that. Maybe you're living like that right now, where that, that makes all the sense in the world. Why wouldn't it make sense? It is the belief that truth is so vast and ever-changing that, that nobody can really know the truth. And so when you confront this statement, I, I ask you, if that is you, I ask you to confront this statement. And I ask you, if you're wrestling with, with this, what is wrong with that idea? I, I want to ask you, are you absolutely sure about that? Are you absolutely sure that, that we live according to moral relativism? Now, right there, one has to stop. If you, if you find yourself answering, yes, I'm absolutely confident. Well, then you're kind of contradicting yourself. That's kind of a contradiction because if there is no moral truth or there is no absolute truth, well, then how can you declare that thing that you stand upon, moral relativism? Let me ask this question. Is it possible that absolute truth exists outside of your knowledge and experience? And again, to answer that question as yes, then you would be contradicting yourself because of your own absolute claim about truth. Are you following me on this this morning? You see, you see where, where this becomes kind of a challenge? And if I could just be honest, and, and I've, I've, I've lived my life like this at times. I think all of us have. We, we've chosen the road of, of moral relativism. I, I'm really convinced. I'm not sure everybody who stands up for this really, really believes it. Could there be an, another motive for this? In fact, I really think that a lot of people, they'll, they'll choose to reject the truth. And again, I've, I've done this myself. Reject the truth, and I use it as an excuse to disregard for what I did that was wrong. It's just a way maybe for me to not take responsibility or to be accountable for what I know is wrong. And so if there is no moral absolute, if there is no moral absolute, then you're not accountable. Do you see really kind of the benefit of living the moral absolute life or the moral relativist life? You're not accountable. You're not accountable for what you've done. I read a story about this youth worker. It was working in his youth facility and, and you know, a lot of junior hires and they were running around and he's, he's following these kids, these two guys down the hallway and one just looks at the other kid and just ups and pops him right in the stomach. The other kid is buckled over. Well, he, it's, it's just happened two feet in front of him. Well, the youth, the youth leader jumped in and intervened. He's like, what are you doing? And the kid who, who hit the other kid, he said, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I swear I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And you can't prove anything. And that way he wouldn't be held accountable. He was held accountable. <laughs> but do you see how that kind of sets us up when I didn't do that? That's not my truth. And, and so you have to live by my truth. I didn't do it. So how can you blame me? How can I be held responsible? How can I be Accountable, And there's a lot of people who are trying to live their lives by this reality, denying the truth. 
You know, I think, just a side note here, I put this in my notes. You know, it's really an interesting contradiction. <laughs> it's an interesting contradiction that a lot of people who would believe in moral relativism would believe in this new thing that has arisen on social media in the past year and a half, two years, maybe since the election or since COVID. There's a lot of people who really put their faith, and it makes me scratch my head, because on one hand they'll say moral relativism, but then they will scream, fact check. Fact check says this. (laughs) I think that's a contradiction. That's just my side note there. So we talk about moral relativism, and there, there, again, the cultural battle here is this is versus what is called as moral truth, or moral absolutes. And moral absolutes says this, it's true. It is true for you, and it's true for me. Not only just for you and me, but it's true for everybody in this room. Not only for, for this room, but everybody who's driving by. Not only, but it's true for all people. I like how Norm Geisler says this. What is true about truth? He uses this acrostic here. And he says truth is this. Number one, it has to be trans- transcendent. In other words, it comes from God, and it's revealed through his creation. In other words, Gravity, all of us right now. The truth of it. I don't see, I'm looking around the room, maybe turn the lights up a little bit. No, you don't have to do that. But I don't see anybody floating or defying gravity right now. And we know that this gentleman, this scientist named Isaac Newton, was the one who discovered gravity. But really, gravity has existed from the very beginning. He just recognizes, aha, gravity. And he's the one who called it. He's the one who gets credit for discovering it. We cannot deny gravity's existence. All of us are subject to gravity right now. It is the truth. And in the same way, we know truth because God reveals it to us and his creation through his word. Look at the word, the letter R, real. Truth matches the facts in the real world. So in other words, as I mentioned before, two truths cannot contradict each other. You can't contradict, it's either true or it's false. They can't contradict. It is the law of non-contradiction, which states that contradictory propositions cannot both be true at the same time and in the same sense. This is from Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Hey, I like this analogy here. Two students, two college students were in their classroom and they had learned about moral relativism. And, and so they're, they're sitting in a dorm room and they're talking about them. And one is just like, I'm not believing it. I just believe there is a moral truth. And the other one is just proclaiming, truth is what I decide for myself. I decide what is true. You cannot tell me what is wrong. And the other student is just like, man, he's, he just really seems convinced of himself. And he, he's nodding. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. And he's like, well, I, I better get going here. So as he gets up from his chair, he walks by and he grabs his friend's watch who is sitting on a stand. And he walks out and he says, I, I'll see you later. Friends, what are you doing? Hey, that's my watch. No, 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 no. I, I have just, you have just convinced me 
that truth is what I decide for myself. And therefore, you cannot tell me that this watch is not mine. This watch is now mine. Do you see, do you see the conflict there? Do you see the contradiction of saying, listen, you can't tell me what to do, but then I tell you what you cannot do, the contradiction that exists there. In other words, you cannot deny truth and affirm it at the same time. Let me say that one more time. As we look at truth, you cannot deny it and affirm it at the same time. When somebody says, I don't believe there is such a thing as truth, that person is exact, actually affirming that they believe there is a standard of truth. Let me say it one more time. When somebody says to you or when you say to yourself, I don't believe there is such a thing as truth, you are declaring there is an absolute standard of truth. Third, it's universal in other words, it, truth applies to all people at all times and all locations. I have had the opportunity in my lifetime, I have been blessed to have been able to fly to 12 different countries. And all over the world. I, just have, I'm not, I don't say that in a braggadocious way, but here's one thing I discovered. And, and just kind of figuring out what's going on, the conversations, the different languages and such. I discovered that in each and every one of these countries I went to, that it, even, even in Thailand or Cambodia, Romania, that it, in those countries, one plus one equals two. Isn't that amazing? All around the world. That's just not an American thing. That's not just something that happens in El Salvador. That is universal, and so is truth. Last of all, it is exclusive. In other words, truth is absolute. In other words, opinions about what is and is not truth, it cannot change. Here's the challenge. Studies show that 67% of Americans do not believe in absolute truth. Let me say that one more time. Studies have shown, and it is increasing, 67% of our country proclaim there is no absolute truth. I, I, didn't, I, I, I forget the statistics. I did not write them down. But that number is almost as high in the church. That's very revealing. That even people who attend church on, on a regular basis, they and what that communicates to me is, Pastor, that God you're talking about, I mean, I, you know, I get what you're saying. I really like the stories. I like the idea, but I'm still not sure. Can I ask you, are, are you sure? Because, you need to be sure. Do you know what you believe? And we know that it has become today's cultural war. In a, in a reading from Norm Geisler's book, it's a good book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I like, I like the title of that book. He, say, he was, talks about a, a story here, and he says this. Let me read this a, a passage from the book. He said, a number of years ago, I debated a religious humanist, Michael Constantine Calendo. Of the many atheists I debated, he was the one of the few who actually read my book, Christian Apologetics, prior to the debate. When it was his turn to speak, Calendo held up my book and declared, these Christians are so narrow-minded people. I read Dr. Geisler's book. Do you know that he believes 
that Christianity is true and everything opposed to it is false. <laughs> These Christians are so narrow-minded. Well, Calendo had also written a book which Norm Geisler had read entitled Religion Without God. When it was my turn to speak, I held up Calendo's book and declared, these humanists are so narrow-minded. I read Dr. Calendo's book. Do you know what he believes? He believes that humanism is true and everything opposed to it is false. These humanists are such narrow-minded people. <laughs> Satan's good. He's good at what he does. He's good at creating deception. He's good at deceiving. He's, he's good at muddying the waters and getting us to question and allowing, us que allowing our questions to hold us back, especially when we do not pursue the truth of those questions. It is I would, I would, I would call it is the ultimate in peer pressure. How many of you, you, you heard about that when you were a teenager? Be, beware of peer pressure. It is the ultimate of peer pressure. And so what a lot of people will do today, rather than be labeled in a negative light because people don't know the truth, they go along with the narrative. And what is the narrative? Everything is relative. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I guess, I guess you, you can't really say there's no absolutes because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And, and, you know, I can see you know, that you have your opinion and I have mine, and okay, that's all right. And I know I shouldn't judge, and, and, and so I shouldn't make judgment. Just keep my thoughts to myself. And really, it's, it, it, religion, it's, it really is a story about faith. It's not really about facts. Do you, do you see how easy it is to fall into that trap, especially if you don't know what the truth really is? St. Augustine says this, We love the truth when it enlightens us, but we hate it when it convicts us. <laughs> Let's say that one more time. We love the truth when it enlightens us, but we hate it when it convicts us. Here are quickly seven facts about truth. I'll go quickly from Norman Geisler, again, a great author. He says this, number one, absolute truth exists and it is universal. Absolute truth means that it is the truth for all people in all circumstances. It is objective. Everybody say objective. It is objective, meaning it doesn't depend on the perspective of, other, of another person. So, so a subjective statement would be, I love apples. I love this time of year. I love the fall. I, I just love a great gala apple or a honey crisp apple. I love apples. Well, you might be sitting there and say, I don't like apples. I don't love apples. Well, that, that's a fair statement because... Maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe you had an apple with a worm in it. I don't know what happened to you, but that is it is subjective. But an objective truth is this is an apple. It's not a lemon. It's not a grape. It's not an orange. It's an apple. Do you catch my point this morning? It is 
an absolute. And so there are such things as absolute. It doesn't depend on whether you think it's an apple or not. It doesn't depend if you're in a good mood or not. It's still an apple. It is still a fact. Here's another great, a lot of you are going to just really grasp onto this one. Here is another objective truth. Ohio State is better than Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I felt that. <laughs> all right, all right, just subjective. I caught you. I was just testing you, just testing, testing the waters. That is seriously, it's an, a, a subjective, but really it is a reality. Okay, let's just say that. <laughs> Number two, truth is discovered, not invented. Truth exists independent of anyone's knowledge of it. In other words, we get back to gravity Gravity existed prior to Newton, and Newton was the one who just called it what it was. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul says that the truth of God, wherever you are in life's journey, wherever you are in life, it is revealed to us. The existence of God is revealed to all of us. And so he says all of us are without excuse from knowing this truth. Number three, truth is transcultural. So if, if something is true, it is true for all people in all places and at all times. And again, as I was talking to you, I, I, I've, I've traveled all around the world, 12 different countries. One plus one equals two. Number four, truth is unchanging, even though our beliefs about truth change. So let me use this as Example here, got my handy-dandy globe here. We used to believe way back in the day, if you've studied your history books, science books, we used to believe that this earth was flat. And that there was ending points. And if you weren't careful, a lot of times the reason why sailors and ships didn't come back is because they fell off the face of the earth. And then as we grew in our knowledge and our understanding, we realized that the earth is not flat, that the earth is actually round. This is the truth about the earth. It has not changed. God created it, and it was round. It's not flat just because we think that it should be flat, or we would like it to be flat, when in fact the truth is that it is round. Let me continue here. Number five, beliefs cannot change a fact no matter how sincere they are. So somebody cannot say, no, seriously, seriously, the earth is flat. I'm telling you, we want the earth to be flat. If it's flat, it just makes it easier on us, and it just, it's so much better. So just believe that it's flat. Get rid of the idea that it is round. And again, these are contrary beliefs to what is true. We can believe everything is true, but we cannot make everything true. Let me say that one more time. We can believe that everything is true, but we cannot make everything true. Number six, I'm almost finished here. Truth is true regardless of how many people believe it or don't believe it. Again, using the shape of the earth. Again, back in the day, a majority of the people in the civilized world, they believed that the world was flat. Did the earth suddenly become round 
just because science figured it out? Did it instantly overnight? So wait a second, the world thinks that it's round now, so I'm going to instantly change my shape. It did not change because it was always at the beginning. It has always been round. And I think today many people choose to reject the truth of Jesus. That doesn't make it untrue. Let me say that one more time. Just because people reject the truth of Jesus does not make it true, does not make Jesus untrue. You see, when we examine the truths found in Scripture, we can see why so many people reject it. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14. Interesting here, interesting thought. This is coming from a man who wholeheartedly rejected the truth of Jesus. I mean, he went all out, even to the participation of murder, murdering people who believed in the truth of this Jesus guy. And now here he is, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14. He says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught up to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Do you see the spiritual awakening that happened in his life? Expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That word that spiritually discerned means they cannot look and see with spiritual eyes. They cannot interpret the truth of God because they're trying to look with the eyes of the flesh. You see, that's, that's what faith is, faith in Jesus Christ. is looking with your spiritual eyes and not your flesh eyes. Sure, we see the truth with our flesh eyes, but we, we grow through looking with our spiritual eyes. In fact, we see here, Paul says, for those who don't look with spiritual eyes, it's foolishness. Some of you, you might be there right now. Pastor, you're full of it. You're full of it. Or maybe, how many of you remember being there at that one, that one time? Those Christians, freaks, fools, believing this lie. Number seven, I close with this thought. Truth is rooted in Jesus. Where do I get this idea? The boldest, the boldest proclamation in the entire Bible Jesus has a lot of gall for saying this. But he proclaimed, Jesus said, I, talking about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, I am the way in this life. There is no other way to God. And I know that there's a lot of people who are working and striving and struggling to just be a good person thinking that their good works is going to get them to heaven. And Jesus, I'm sorry, that's not the way. Jesus says, I am the truth. There is no other truth. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And I am that. He said, I am the life. There is no eternal life than from what comes from Jesus. Jesus said this. 
John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, he says, you truly are my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And then he says this, I love this. And he says, when you remain faithful to me, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus said this, he says, you can know truth. Not only have a knowledge of truth, but you can have a relationship with truth through Jesus Christ. I hope that made sense. You can know the truth not only in your mind, but in your heart. And when you have it in your mind and it's in your heart, it's gonna come out in your life. You know what that's gonna come out in your life? What Jesus has talked about is freedom. John 15, 26, he says, but I will send the advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father and he will testify about me. That when you open the eyes of your heart to Jesus, and invite him to come into your life, God places his Holy Spirit inside of you, and he just, all of a sudden, the lights go on. I've talked to so many people, and they said, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, it just made sense. I still had so much more to learn, but it just, it clicked. And I I, I developed a hunger for it, because the Spirit, the Spirit of truth entered into the life. As I close this morning, quickly here. How then should I respond? I think it's great that we ask questions. I think this is a good place for the church, right? I think it's all of us. We need to ask these questions. And when we do not, when we are honest, intellectually honest with ourselves and we don't know the answers, I think it's important that we seek the answers. And for some of you this morning, you have looked with your eyes, and it doesn't make sense, but I would ask you, have you looked with your heart? Have you looked with your heart? Because when you look with your heart, you will discover that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. For some of you this morning, how we need to respond is you, some of you, you just need to be reminded. You know this already, but you just need to be reminded that truth does exist and we are held accountable to that truth. Do you know that? We are accountable for what's in his word. Whether you read that word or not, Jesus is saying, this is the truth. You need to know this, and you'll be held accountable. And the last thing I would say to you this morning is, for for those who are Christ followers today, one of the greatest things that you can do with truth is to live it out. To live it. To live what you know is true. Because like I said, we are, we're living in a culture where there's a, the majority does not believe that. And so they may hear you talk, they may hear you come and proclaim truth, but really, 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 what they're really hearing is how you live your life. And I would say to you, Christ follower, live the truth, live the truth. Don't be the excuse that a person gives for not accepting the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close in prayer this morning. I wanna wanna ask you to just bow your heads. I wanna ask you, have you accepted Jesus as the way, 
the truth and the life for your life? Have you accepted that? And have you invited this truth into your life? Have you invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? I'm telling you, that's the next step that you need to take. And you can do that right here, right now. Those who are watching online, just it, it is the most simplest of all prayers. It's starting off just like this. Just say, God, I need you. I come to the truth this morning that Jesus is who he says that he is. And so I accept you as my way, as the truth, and as the life. Come and live inside of me and forgive me of my sins. I choose today to live the truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we just give God a praise for his truth that he reveals to us today?